0: We have been in an accidental series. <laughs> I started you know, preaching about being saved, and this this idea that that the world at large, especially American Christianity, likes to think about uh, the Christian experience as being saved uh, to go not to hell, but in order to go to heaven. And that's that's kind of that's the main point: is that we get saved so we don't have to. You know, go to a bad place, we get to go to a good place, and that's about as far as we push it. Some of us even think, well, you know, I, it's, hell's bad, I don't know if I want to harp and anything, but I definitely don't want to go there, so, so I'm going to, I guess, trust in Jesus, or I'm going to go down the aisle, or I'm going to raise my hand, and we have this idea of what salvation is and the point of salvation. And over the last few weeks, I've been trying to lay out this idea that if, if that had been the case, then, then God would have just beamed us up. And the fact that he leaves us here in this broken and imperfect world indicates that he's at work in our lives, that maybe there's something more that he wants to do. And so we talked about how God saves us so that we might serve, that that we have the privilege of serving one another, that we have the privilege of, of pouring out our lives for the sake of others, of expressing and being conduits of the love of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. We talked about how we're saved to sacrifice that, that we live a life now that is indebted to Jesus Christ, and that since we are indebted to him, that we are called to live and sacrifice in the way that he lived and sacrificed. And we, we talked about how we're, we're saved to sing, and and I said that somewhat euphemistically, though I would encourage every single person to get in the car. We all, had, we all do the thing where when no one else is around, we sing crazy, you know... Uh, Whitney Houston, I mean, I don't do that, but, uh, but that sort of thing where you're, you're, you're going all in because you're by yourself, and, and God invites us to sing. He invites us to worship. He invites us to live a life that here and now expresses that He is good, here and now. And today, I want to encourage you. I want you to feel happy. I want you to feel glad. So we're going to talk about James 1, that you are saved to suffer. <laughs> and that's about what I expected. That's okay. Some of you just, uh, we talk about, I won't say who it was, but one of our kids had a teacher, super sweet, second grade, uh, and she was bubbly and kind, and and I, I sat in, and we had there was some sort of kid's moment, uh, and I was like, how does she keep these kids in, in line? And then one kid did something wrong, and she had what I described as a withering stare, where it was just this... And, uh, and that kid got in line. And so some of you gave me a withering stare. And that's okay. I can handle it. I can handle it. Uh, but I want to encourage you that God has a purpose in our pain. God has a purpose in your pain. And, and God, God loves you, family. And, and sometimes our circumstances would, would try to suggest that maybe, maybe God doesn't. Maybe he's not in control, or maybe he's not good. And what the word of God would say to us today is God has saved us to suffer. So open in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> we're going to stand together, and we're going to read this out loud. James chapter 1. You can watch the slides if you've got a different version than the ESV. We're going to read verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the many blessings that you give us. Lord, the privilege to breathe, to live, to enjoy good food, to laugh with friends and family. We thank you for the the, the pleasures of this life. And yet at the same time, we experience so much pain and brokenness and and some, some of us even suffering. And God, in that moment, as we reflect on the brokenness of this world, the sin-sick suffering in this world. God, I, I want to lift up the pain that we have to you and say, God, would you heal it? God, would you give us perspective to relate to the brokenness that is in our world, the brokenness that is in our life? God, would you give us a vision to see things as you see them? And and when we can't see them as you see them, Lord, to trust you to be at work. Jesus, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith and that you have paved the way for us. That God, though you are far off, though you are high above all rule and authority and power and dominion, that you were above the heavens and the earth and you stooped down God, I thank you that you are not unaware of our suffering. That you're intimately connected to it. And in fact, Jesus, you've experienced it. There's no test or trial or temptation common to man that you have not experienced. And so, Jesus, we, we, we come close to you. We draw near to you. And we pray that by your spirit you would minister faith to us. That you would minister strength to us that you would minister endurance to us, that you would encourage our souls, God. God, I pray for the people in this room with broken hearts, Lord, that, that, that as they draw near to your word, that you would draw near to the, them, as, as you say in James 5. God, I thank you that you're close to the broken hearted. That you weep with those who weep, that you mourn with those who mourn, and that your word says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn. God, we don't don't look at our suffering and say it's a good thing because we're we're masochistic, but God, we say that you are a good God in the midst of our suffering, and you're working a good thing. Holy Spirit, be with us right now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Christianity is it's counterintuitive. I'll say that again. Christianity is counterintuitive. The moment you think you, you get it is the moment you need to take a moment and pause because you probably don't. And, and I say that of myself. I mean, I, I don't. In Matthew, Jesus says this: many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. How many of you have been in second grade before? And what do you know? Those who are first are first. And everyone else loses, right? The first is first. The first is not last. If I were to go into our kid builder's wing and and, and I would say, okay, kids, line up against the wall. And I say, on the count of three, I want you to run from this wall to this wall. Ready? One, two, three. Ah! Craziness ensues and they run to and slap the wall. And the first kid's like, I win! And I look at them and I say, actually, you lose. <laughs> right? We're laughing because a, a mini-riot would ensue, right? Or at least a legal uh, uh, proceeding, actually. Because we, we understand instinctively that, that when we're first, we're first. And when we're last, we're last. But Christianity, Christ says, many of those who are first will be last and the last will be first. Not only that, Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 9 and says this, anyone who would be first, you want to be first? You want to be top? You want to be in charge? Yes. What do you want to be when you grow up? In charge. Like, what, what, what field do you want to be in? I don't care. Just let me be, the. Let me, where's the scepter? I want, I want the profession with the scepter. You know, let me be the boss. But Jesus says, anyone who would be first must be last and the servant of all. You want to be first? Be the last to be the least. He says in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor? Like, again, think of, as a, I, just think of yourself as a kid, the most, most uh, honest, realistic view of the world from, from our, our, just our unadulterated humanity. I, I remember being a kid, and what did I want? in my life. Well, I watched DuckTales, I watched uh, Scrooge McDuck, and you know what I wanted? I wanted the room with all the coins that he he swam in. Some of you don't know. So there's this guy, Scrooge McDuck. You can kind of guess what he's about by his name. And and he had, among other things, a room of gold coins that he swam in. Now, if you were to, you know, dive into a, a big pile of gold coins, that'd probably be the first and last time you did that. But... In the grand world where there's a duck who is rich, you can do these things. And that was what I wanted to do because I wanted to be rich. I wanted to have what I wanted, and I didn't want to have any sort of obstacle that would prevent me from from getting that. But what does Jesus say? No, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are brokenhearted. Blessed are those who don't have what they need in their life. Blessed are those who feel a lack. When do, Do you... Raise your hand. Do you feel blessed when you... You don't have to actually raise your hand. How many of you feel blessed when there's a lack in your life? I don't, if I'm being honest. But he says, you're blessed. He goes on and says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, he says, if you find yourself in a circumstance where you're following God and because of your obedience, you come against obstacles opposition, even suffering. He says, You're you're blessed. How many how many onlookers do you think looked at the lives of, of the martyrs who were being burned at the stake or eaten alive by lions or ripped apart, thought to themselves, you know what? It's a good life. It's a good life. Christianity's countercultural. It's so counter-cultural that Paul has to tell us in, in uh Colossians chapter 3, and we, we, we just went through a series on Colossians, but if, if you'll remember, it says in chapter 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, right, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're following Jesus, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. In other words, look at the world, not from this natural, I'm in second grade, things make sense when Scrooge McDuck swims in a pool of, of coins living, not from that perspective, but from the perspective that says things of this world don't make sense in the economy of God. And in the economy of God, the things that you're to pursue and the life you're supposed to live may not make sense to the people around you. James is doing the same thing here. He's inviting us to see things differently. He's inviting us to see things differently. He says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. We're going to talk today about three things. Rejoicing in trials. We're going to talk about the reason to rejoice in those trials. And the result of those trials when we endure. The, the call to rejoice in our trials. The reason we're supposed to rejoice in those trials. And the result as we endure. First of all, he talks about what we're to do. He says, Rejoice. When you face trials of many kinds. You know what causes me to rejoice? Pie. I've said that before in this service because it's true and has not changed. I like pie. We, we, um, we shop at this restaurant, or not this restaurant, this uh, store. It's Martin's. It's like it's giant for the West. I don't know. Um, you cross some sort of geographic line and giant ceases to exist and now it's Martin's. I don't know. It's fine. Among among the various things that they have are these little pies in a box. Not as good as freshly made pies, but nice because you don't feel guilty about eating a whole pie. (laughs) Even though I will eat a whole pie. But there are these whole, and it's the kind of thing where we're like, oh, I want an apple pie. I want a cherry pie. I want I want a pecan pie. I want a pumpkin. I will eat all of these. You don't have to choose. And, and it causes me to rejoice. You know, what are the things that cause you to rejoice? You, you know, it's, it's the year end is, is coming up and maybe you're having some performance reviews and, and, and you're hoping and praying that it comes out well and, and you get that bump. You don't just get the cost of living bump, you get a merit bump. You get, you get some good things that come and it causes you, yes, awesome. Maybe you follow sports and, and you want your team to win and they, they, they pull out a win and you, you say, yes, awesome. Or you get you get a neat present in Christmas, and you say, Yes. These are things, these are things that make us rejoice. Right? It makes sense. We we tend to rejoice when good things happen. We tend to get happy when good things happen, but Paul here is calling us to have a different way of looking at the world. He says, Rejoice when you face trials, difficulties, pain. Suffering, inconvenience, discomfort, consider it, count it all joy. Our natural inclination our reaction to these things is to, to what? To grumble, to maybe not you, but I've heard and I've been around other people, not people like you guys, who when they face trials, they grumble, they complain, they, they seek to escape. They want to, to find out whose fault this is and, and deal with that person. You know, I I just love driving down 66 and and seeing the traffic and looking around and seeing everyone just just so happy, just just happily. Oh hey, how's it going? Excuse me as I cut you off. Okay, it's okay. No birth, no problem. It's it's fine. No, we don't we don't see that. We see people staring ahead so that that the other people don't you don't have to have this stare off as you you cut someone off or as they cut you off and 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 you want to look at them and you want. Look at me in the eyes and if you're going to do bad things. Is this just me? I'm just just going down there like, oh man, Pastor Eddie's angry. Um, I'm not. I don't drive down 66. But when I do, no. But James says to rejoice. And and here's the thing. He doesn't say if. It'd It'd be nice if he said if. Count it all joy, my brothers, when... You meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you experience pain. Count it all joy when you face inconvenience. Count because he's honest. This is this is Christian realism, right? He's not inviting us into some sort of uh, uh, pastel fake. We're all happy and it's a good time, and God always blesses us. Type of life, right? That's good for about three seconds if you're honest, but it. it life is hard. Life is hard. And it's okay to admit that as a Christian, right? If you're in this room, look, you know what? Look at your neighbor and say, you know what? Life is hard. Life is hard. And look, look, the other person look at them and say, you know what? I know that. I know that. That's true. Life is hard. He's being realistic. And he says, when you face trials, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for this because you know what we don't need? We don't need a Bible. We don't need, we don't need advice that isn't honest about our experience. Have you ever had a conversation with someone, you're like, this is what's going on in my life, and they just didn't seem to quite understand it, like, that's not what's going on in your life. Your life is fine. And you're like, have you been listening? They're like, you're good. It's okay. Everything's all right. No, life... Life can be really challenging. And yet in the middle of this, he says, we have reason to rejoice. Why? Why should we rejoice? Look at verse 3 with me. For, God bless that word, for, because, for, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. If you're a Christian here today, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your pain has purpose. I thought about this as I was writing it, and I was afraid that it might come off as glib or flippant. So let me say this. If you're a Christian and you're experiencing pain, your pain is real. What, what James is not trying to say and what I'm not trying to say is your pain is not real. Some of you are going through or have gone through profound suffering, profound physical suffering, profound emotional, relational suffering. You've had moments alone in the dark, weeping, begging God to give you an answer. And I'm not saying that that is not true. What I'm saying is is that the Bible gives us Hope gives you hope that your purpose, or sorry, your pain has a purpose. And, and if that's not a comfort to you, um, I would just say that the alternative is much worse. To live in a world where the, the pain that we legitimately do experience has no purpose, that's, that's cause for despair. <laughs> And a lot of times that's the reason we despair is because we don't reckon with the fact that our pain has purpose. And and we look at our circumstances and say to ourselves, this doesn't make sense, God. This can't be real. I can't be going through this. And our wrestling with God is a wrestling of saying, God, if you loved me, you wouldn't be letting me go through this pain. Because we think to ourselves, this pain is so painful, this suffering is, is so painful that it can't have a purpose. I would love to say that God does not allow us to go through pain, but he does. But in his sovereignty, it has purpose. And I say it that way, specifically, God allows you to experience pain. Here's the thing, guys. If you want to diminish God to the the level that he's not overseeing your life, you no longer have God. You no longer have a God. So we have to reckon with the fact that God is both good and great. He's both good and sovereign. He's both good and and overseeing everything that goes on in the world. That anything that comes into your life comes through his hand. And yet we still face suffering. But I want you to hear that God is at work in these things. Because the only way this is hopeful for us is if God is at work in these things. In Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 11, it says this, Paul is praying, he's praying for the uh, Ephesians, and he, and he says this, in him, talking about Christ, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, what, all things according to the counsel of his will. God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. There's nothing that happens in the world that doesn't come through the sovereign hand of God. That may be something that freaks you out. Maybe you haven't reckoned with the, maybe you thought to yourself, all those bad things that are happening in the world, uh, you know, God's good and he doesn't want those things to happen, but they still happen But the word says that all the things that do happen come through the sovereign will of God. That doesn't mean that he condones evil. It doesn't mean that he condones wickedness. And it doesn't mean that we're off the hook. We have to hold these things in tension. That God is actually sovereign. That he allows these things to happen. And yet at the same time, he holds us responsible. And if you struggle with that, read the book of Jeremiah. (laughs) Because I'm reading Jeremiah in my reading plan. If you don't have a reading plan, get a reading plan. Get a paper Bible. Read your Bible every day. I'm reading through Jeremiah. And basically, Jeremiah is this prophet, and he, he's prophesying against these nations. He prophesies against Israel because they disobey, and so they go into exile. And, but then this interesting thing happens. God begins to judge. He starts by saying, okay, Israel, Babylon's going to come, and Babylon is my tool of judgment. Babylon is this nation, and they're going to crush you because you've been disobedient. It's not just this, hey, Babylon's going to come. It's kind of rough. I'm, I'm telling you what's happening in the future, but I have no control over it. No, God says, I'm sending this, this foreign pagan nation against you. They worship idols, and I'm going to use them to punish you because you've broken covenant with me. Right? God had given this covenant. This is how you should live. If you live this way, you'll be blessed. If you don't live this way, you'll be cursed. And so he says, you guys have not lived this way, so I'm going to be faithful to my covenant. And so he brings suffering and and pain through Babylon. But then he goes on and he turns around to Babylon and says, now I'm going to punish you, Babylon, for doing bad things. (laughs) So there is a way in which we are responsible for our behavior, and yet at the same time God is sovereign in it. And I put that before you, family, because God's control and authority over the world is what allows us to trust him. It's what brings hope to our lives, that it's not out of his control and that he is good. And and, and if that didn't encourage you, (laughs) I can understand, but if if that didn't encourage you, let me tell you this, that that we have a God who is not unable to relate to us. And, And he's not a God who's Unwilling to, to go through the things that he subjects us to. In Acts chapter 2, we see that, that Pentecost has happened, the, the Holy Spirit has fallen, Jesus has, has gone and ascended from heaven. He died after having lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived. He, he was cr- brutally murdered, a, a criminal's death, shameful. And then he rose again, victorious over death. He ascends to heaven, and Peter is preaching. And it's interesting, he says in, in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Guys, listen up. That Jesus who did all those miracles that you were you were privy to, that you saw, we're not making this up, you saw them. This Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In, in Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 53, the word says that, that this suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of, who, who is Jesus Christ, it says that, that God crushed him for us, that he He was smitten for us. God allowed Jesus Christ to be crucified, as it says, and killed by the hands of lawless men. The Israelites who who were involved with that, Pilate, all of those individuals were not off the hook. And yet, did, did Christ's death fall outside the sovereignty of God? Did it fall outside of God's plan? No, it was according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge. Why do you think think Peter said that? Peter was telling them, even this other thing that you think that you you had control over God, you had control over this situation, God had planned and prepared. And, And why does that matter for you and me? Because we have a Savior who is able to relate to pain. Family, we have a father who sent his son and who's, who experienced suffering for you. He can relate. Your pain is purposeful because God is great. I like to use the language of God is good, God is great. God is good, He's benevolent, He's kind, He's loving, He's patient, He's tender, He's gentle, and He's great right he does hold the scepter right <laughs> he holds the scepter there's nothing that that falls outside of his authority if it was just that he was great we'd have we'd have reason to be nervous right i don't know what god's going to do you know he, if he was capricious if he was angry alone if he was he was unjust we'd have reason to be concerned but he's great and he is good and it says in romans chapter 8 verse 28 that that goodness has implications for our life we know that for those who love god all things work together for good not some things not the comfortable things not the nice things not the pies all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose trials are intended to do something in us and through us He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, which is from God, produces steadfastness. That word steadfastness, some of your Bibles may say endurance, perseverance. God is producing something in you. Look at your neighbor and say, God is producing something in you. Come on, guys. Say it like you mean it. You want to encourage your neighbor. God is, Guys, God is doing something in you. Raise your hand if you've been in a trial in the last 30 days. Raise your hand if you're a liar. No, okay. <laughs> you've, if you've been in a trial, let me look at you and say, God is at work in your life. God is at work in your life. If you're a Christian and you've been in a trial, God is at work in your life. If you come here and, and you don't know if you trust in Jesus, I would... I would beg you to consider trusting in him because that is the only way that we can look at our trials and say, you know what? God is working his good in my life. He says, count it all joy because he's producing endurance. I've heard that running, there's this thing called a running high. I I hear about it, you, you know, perpetually. People are like, yeah, you should really take on. Every January, it's like, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm going to run, you know, and you talk to these people and they love to run and really they just hate themselves. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I just, if you run and you've found out that donuts, you can get a runner's high and just buy donuts. Just skip the work. Uh, anyways, clearly I'm not a runner, but there's this idea that as you press in, as you push forward you can get beyond that pain, You can th- that there's something at work as you push, as you push, as you push, that, that you can't get beyond until you get beyond it, right? Have you ever, you've, you've been working on a project, maybe in college or, or at work, and you're just, you're working on it, you're working on it, you're pushing, you're pushing, and you get to this wall, and you're like, I quit, and in that moment, you say, either I'm going to push forward or I'm going to quit, and then you, you break through that wall and you realize, oh, there's something on the other side of this. Count in all joy when you face trials of many kinds because God is developing endurance. Don't quit. Don't quit, family. If you're in a trial, that's not a sign that God's given up. That's a sign that God's in causing you to endure. He's inviting you to be equipped. He's inviting you to grow. He's building something in you. He's saying that You can endure, but endurance is not the end. I am so thankful for that, (laughs) because I don't like to run. We we passed a car on the way, and it said 50K, and I was like, 50K what? Like 23K, okay, 13.3 or whatever it is, fine. 50K? Like running? Like, do you have wheels on your feet? What's going on here? That's not the life I... Anyways, (laughs) that has nothing to do with anything. I'm sorry if you like to run, that's great. Um, but, but he doesn't just say that we're called to endurance for endurance sake. So let me encourage you that God is developing endurance in you. And let me encourage you even more that that's not the point. Because if that was the point, you know, it might be like God's inviting us into a divine hamster wheel. We're like, trials, 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 trials. Like, what's the point? I guess it's just Trials. No, but he wants to develop something in us. Look at verse four with me. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Family, God wants to perfect you. God wants to build you into all that you were intended and purposed to be. Which means that God has a picture of you in his mind, that he's thinking about you. And he's imagining you and thinking, you know what, it's going to be amazing after I'm done the, the way that, that, that Bill or, or, or Sarah, that, that, that they're going to be. I've got such an awesome, place. in Ephesians chapter 2 it says that we are his workmanship, we are his, his masterpiece, that God is at work in your life. Right? This is such a different view than when we're in the middle of things and you're thinking to yourself, I can't do this. I hate this. I'm in so much physical pain. I'm, I'm in despair. I'm in so much relational pain. I can't believe that person did that thing to me. Oh, my goodness. But God is saying, I am, I'm doing something in you. I'm doing something in you. In, in Philippians 1.6, he says that, that God who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. God's got a picture of you. He's got a a divine Polaroid. But it's not a Polaroid of where you are. It's a Polaroid of of who he's making you out to be. And one day, when we get to to see our Lord, we're going to look at him. He's going to look at us. He's going to smile. He said, look what I made. Look what I made. You, you, you might be in the middle of the worst part of your life. Things have never been harder. They've been, never been more painful. And, and I just want to encourage you in this moment, count it all joy, not because it's easy, because it's not, but because God is looking down at you and he's saying, I can't wait to finish. I can't wait to see how this turns out. So as we close... He says that we're to be perfect, and, and by that it's, it's mature. He's going to finish what he started in us, complete. He's going to take the brokenness in our life and, and bring it together and make us whole, lacking nothing. There's, there's not going to be any aspect of your, your virtues, your character that isn't going to reflect Jesus Christ in your life. You're not going to lack nothing. And if you're struggling to view this, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus who gives us gives us a good picture of what this looks like. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. It says, Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run, what? With endurance the race that is set before us. What do you do when you get tired? Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross what did jesus do in the midst of his trials he rejoiced not because it was easy lord knows it was not easy but he knew that there was a joy that was set before him the joy of redeeming a people the joy of obeying his father and he says in verse three, consider him who endured from sooner such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Do you want to quit? Have you hit the wall and you're like, I'm gonna to go to church and then after that, I'm gonna just lose it. Can I encourage you, look to Jesus not as the guy who's wagging his finger at you, but the guy who understands where you are. Jesus, he can relate to you. And you can draw strength from him that he has obeyed. And his spirit who lives in you now is going to enable you by his grace to also obey. Look to Jesus, choose to endure, don't quit. And then get in your word. Right, how do we look to Jesus? Real practical. We look to Jesus by looking at Jesus. Read the Gospels. Read Hebrews. Those are The whole Bible is awesome, but, but those are good places to start when you want to see, okay, I want to see what it is for Jesus to overcome his trials. I want to see what it is for Jesus to, to rise up in the midst of suffering and pain. Read the Gospels. If you, if you don't have a lot of time, you can read. I, one of my kids told me, you can read Mark in 45 minutes. I'm like who told you that? I mean, yeah, I knew that. (laughs) Apparently, you can read Mark in 45 minutes. It's 10 chapters, like 11 chapters. It's short. It's really short, and it's a lot of fun. Read Mark. Go home, eat some food, take a nap, and then wake up and read Mark, because I know that's how how my life is. Anyways, um, just kidding. I'm going to go run after this. Um, (laughs) Colossians 3, set your eyes on things above. Set your eyes on things above. Family, if you're in a trial, God is at work. I want to say it again. If you're in a trial, God is at work. If you're in a trial, God is at work. If you're in a trial, God is at work. That's the heartbeat. That's your spiritual heartbeat. If you're in the midst of suffering, you got a heartbeat. And, and, and God's going to bring you through it and he's going to finish what he started and you're going to look awesome at the end. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you that you have not left us without an example and without power. I'm so thankful for, for uh, the, the scripture that Jermaine that read that that the, the resurrection power of life The resurrection power of God is at work in us. And God, I recognize that there are people in this room who are smiling, but on the inside, they're brokenhearted, they're suffering, they're in physical pain. And God, I pray that you would pour out your comfort on them. Lord, comfort them, draw near to them. I pray that this word would be a salve to their soul, that it would be a, a, a cool breeze. That'd be a warm hug. And God, I pray that as as I, as we experience trials, that we would relate to those trials and be able to say to you, God, I thank you for your care and your sovereignty in the midst of this trial. I thank you, God, that this is not meaningless, that this is not capricious, that this is not just insanity, but that, God, you're producing something in me And Holy Spirit, I pray that all the things that you're producing in this people would come to fruit, that it would blossom and come to fruition and that we would be a people who endure in love. We endure in suffering. We endure to your glory and the joy of those around us. God, we thank you for your word. Please work it in our heart, in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.